Good morning. As I was thinking about the upcoming ordination and reflecting back on the call or the calls that God has placed on my life in different, in different times, at different places, I'm reminded that we all receive the call of God. The call, that call comes in many different ways, and it calls us to different tasks, but we, but we all hear God's call if we are living in the power of his spirit. As we look at scriptures, we can see that evidence in the lives of many men and women. We see Moses called at the burning bush. We see Elijah heard, heard God in a still small voice articulate to him three things that he was supposed to do. See, Elisha was called by Elijah as a, res- as a result of that and given the cloak of Elijah. We see Isaiah, he had an amazing vision in which a glowing coal was touched to his lips. Mary was visited by an angel. The twelve disciples were personally called by Jesus and discipled in their walk. And Paul was struck down by a light on the road to Damascus. These were called to different tasks. Different opportunities presented themselves. Different um, places. Different people that they were called to speak to. My message this morning is not about discerning the calling or vocation of God, but rather our response when that call comes. When God calls you to whatever he has for you, what is your response? God's call often precedes our preparation. In other words, God calls imperfect men to tasks. Imperfect men who are humble and willing to allow God to provide further preparation. God is not looking for a perfect man to be called by ordination here next month, but rather he is calling a gifted yet imperfect man to fill this role. However, this also means that ordination is not an arrival kind of calling, but rather a calling to a continued and deeper learning, both in Scripture in relationships with others, in service, and in a personal walk with God. This requires humility. It requires teachability. It requires sacrifice and vulnerability. And I want to applaud the availability that I've heard from you in this congregation as you have expressed in relation to following God's call, even if that means uh, being ordained to the role of deacon here. But really, this message isn't just about the calling of a deacon, but rather an encouragement to say yes to God in whatever he calls us. As I said before, God has many different callings for different people in many different spheres of the Christian walk, whether in teaching or visitation of the sick or elderly or evangelism or prison ministry or child training or other ministries. I think the beauty of having different giftings is that certain callings do fit certain people better. 
May we embrace our callings and pray God will continue to teach us and mold us into the men and women fit and prepared for that calling. I've chosen to look at 1 Corinthians 1 this morning just a little bit. You don't have to turn there just yet. We'll get to more of it later on. Um, I've, I've heard a number of years ago an excellent sermon preached on, on 1 Corinthians 1 in which somebody looked at um, this uh, faction, the, the factions that were going on here. And I just want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. I'm looking at this passage not necessarily to look at that aspect this morning. I'm looking at this passage because I recognize here three men, three men who are called by God, three men who were leaders in the church, three men that, um, especially here in Corinth, were well-known and likely in Ephesus and across um, the Aegean as well. Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, were they, were they called as perfect men? Were they prepared for their callings? How do their giftings, though different from each other, contribute to the unity of the Spirit in the church? So let's take a look, first of all, at Paul. Paul was probably one of the most well-trained Jewish Pharisees of his day. Trained by the great teacher Gamaliel, he was likely the rising star in rabbinic Judaism. When he came into a city... He went into the synagogue and was probably given a platform solely on the basis of his teacher, Gamaliel. He was zealous for God, and he talks about that, um, that he excelled in Judaism and he excelled in his zealousness. However, Paul was not very eloquent in speaking. Just for some evidence here, 2 Corinthians 11.6 says, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. And I should say, uh, I think these passages are from the NET. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that, that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Paul acknowledging that they recognize that his speech isn't uh, eloquent. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, reading... Verses 17 and 18, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to them that are, to them, I'm sorry, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then I'll read some more from 1 Corinthians 1 later on. Paul had a gift in knowledge. He had been trained but Paul could have said, I'm not great at public speaking. I'm not, I'm not eloquent. So maybe this just isn't for me. But if he had used that excuse, his gift of knowledge, the training that he had would have gone to waste. Instead, he went out and he established church after church. 
He encouraged and he strengthened. He reproved and corrected. He watered and he labored. And God gave the increase. If God's call for you requires public speaking and you don't feel eloquent, embrace it. Understand that as you put in the work, God will continue to use you regardless of the speech. If you are willing to be used, God can use the uneloquent in mighty ways. Apollos is another example. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Apollos shows up in in Acts 18, verse 24. I'll just read um, 24 to the end of the chapter. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he, des- and when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Apollos It's really the opposite of Paul here. He's the eloquent one. He's the one who was able to debate and dispute well. His gifting was something that he embraced, and he desired to spread the truth. But he was lacking in his knowledge a bit. Now, he he knew the scriptures, but he he was still a bit lacking. As soon as he discovered his ignorance... He could have used that as an excuse to stop preaching. He could have been intimidated by his ignorance, by the vast amount of information that he had yet to learn. But no, he was teachable. Aquila, he learned from Aquila and Priscilla. Then he turned around and mightily convinced the Jews from the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Sometimes we, we look at the amount of things we don't know, and we're discouraged. We can't imagine how we could measure up. You might want to use the excuse that we just don't know enough to fill whatever the calling is that God places on our life. But if we remain teachable, God will continue to use us as he teaches us. The third leader mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1 is Cephas, or Peter. Now, what do we know about Peter? Peter was a man who was always pushing forward, perhaps perhaps a bit brash at times, a man that God was able to use mightily on the day of Pentecost and beyond as he continued to minister to the needs of the early church, the growing early church. And yet, he was a man of many mistakes. Our minds perhaps immediately go to his denial of Christ on the night of of the trial. 
The turmoil within him caused him to doubt and caused him to not want to identify with Jesus. But we see mistakes earlier when he cut off Malchus's ear or when he rejected Jesus' statement about his upcoming death and Jesus had to reprove him with, Get thee behind me, Satan. Or we could go into Acts and Galatians and consider the time that Paul had to confront Peter about his treatment of the Gentiles. Peter, even as a leader, made mistakes. Peter could have said, I've I've just made too many mistakes. I I know I'm going to make more mistakes. I know I'm going to fail. So I I can't accept the call of God. If he had said that, the rock on which the church is built would be nothing but sand. It wouldn't exist. We too can fear to answer the call, to accept the call, because we feel failure, because we think we'll make mistakes. God can and has used from the very beginning those who, well, humans, right? Those who make mistakes. Those who fail. So embrace your future failure and future mistakes and rest in God's wisdom and grace that he is able to use even those for his glory. Answer the call. Now these three did not use those excuses, right? We have an example in scripture of someone who tried to use some excuses when God's call came. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. Be reading just just a little bit here in in chapter 3 and then a little bit in chapter 4. This is Moses. We know he made excuses when God came to him there in the burning bush. And some of these excuses are really the same ones that Peter or, or Apollos or Paul could have made, but they didn't. I'll just read here, uh, starting in chapter 10 of, I'm sorry, in verse 10 of chapter 3. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to, said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent, you to, has sent me to you. I see in this short passage at least two different uh, excuses. The first is, who am I? I'm just not good enough. And it kind of sounds like Peter or what Peter could have said. Who am I to do this? Look at my mistakes. I tried, I tried to help him 40 years ago. The second one is... Who are you? How am I supposed to explain to them who you are? I don't have all the answers. 
How do I even explain who you are? This could be the, the excuse of Apollos. We jump to chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, um, he raises the question about um, them even believing me. Uh, perhaps an excuse there as well. But let's, let's jump to verse 10, and I'll read in chapter 4, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. The two excuses there. First of all, I am not eloquent enough. An excuse that Paul could have used. And lastly, just send somebody else. Is there anybody else? And, and really, this is probably the real problem for Moses. Is I just don't want to. Now, God answers the excuses that Moses has with reassurance, with a way forward, with answers. And ultimately, Moses did become one of the greatest leaders of the children of Israel. When I think back seven years to the things I struggled with in accepting the call to the ministry, to church leadership, some of these excuses were real for me, too. I think ultimately, it usually comes back to, I don't want to make the sacrifice. I don't want to give up that dream or this dream. I want to serve God in this way or this way. But God has a way of shaping that calling in ways that we never imagined. He knows us. He knows who we are better than we know ourselves. He knows what energizes us. And I believe that as you say yes to God's calling on your life, it will become something that energizes you as well. What if Abraham had said, no, I just I can't pack up and leave without a five-year plan or at least a destination? What if Joshua had said, lead these people? I'd have to hate myself to, lead, to take that job. What if Gideon had said, nah, it's not worth the risk? What if, what if Ruth had said, your people are fine, your God's not bad, but I'll stick with my people and my God? What if Samuel had said, speak, Lord, but I'm not sure that you should really be talking to a boy about all this? What if David had said, that giant is scary, I'll just go take care of the sheep while you take care of this? What if Nathan the prophet had said, tell King David what? No, thank you. I like my head. The same could be said for most of the prophets, really. I guess Jonah kind of tried that route, didn't he? What if Nehemiah had said, I'm not an engineer or a mason. I can't build this wall. 
list could go on and on and on. And it, it really runs right into the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. Because really, a commitment to and a willingness to answer the call with yes is a step of faith. It's a step of recognizing that none of us truly has what it takes to carry out the vocation that God is calling, calling us to or will call us to. We rest and rely on him because that's who it's all about. 2 Timothy 1 <coughs> says, uh, I'll just summarize here, our calling is not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, talking about God, and the grace we are given in Christ Jesus. There's a song that um, has kind of been a theme in my life, at least for the last 15 years. It's a song that um, my graduating class sang for our graduation from high school. I just want to read it to you. It's, it's called The Summons by John Bell. And I will, hopefully we can use this as a closing song um, before the benediction. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you let my life be grown in you and you in me? Will you leave yourself behind if I but call your name? Will you care for cruel and kind and never be the same? Will you risk the hostile stare should your life attract or scare? Will you let me answer prayer in you and you in me? Will you let the blinded see if I but call your name? Will you set the prisoners free and never be the same? Will you kiss the leper clean and do such as this unseen and admit to what I mean in you and you in me? Will you love the you you hide if I but call your name? Will you quell the fear inside and never be the same? Will you use the faith you found to reshape the world around through my sight and touch and sound in you and you and me? Lord, your summons echoes true when you but call my name. Let me turn and follow you and never be the same. In your company I'll go where your love and footsteps show. Thus I'll move and live and grow in you and you and me. 1 Corinthians 3 maybe continuing on for 1 Corinthians 1, says, So then, no more boasting about mere mortals, for everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. You know, it's not about us. It's not about boasting of ourselves. It's not about trying to excuse ourselves, but rather it's about who we belong to. It's about the one who calls us. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, uh, starts out by, by admonishing us to walk worthy of the calling in lowliness and, and uh, sorry, I can't quote it right now. Um, a good passage to take a look at. One faith, one God. It's about God. It's about coming to God and walking worthy of our calling in humility. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12 talks about uh, Paul uh, praying that God would count you worthy of this calling. 
that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in us. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Just read, starting in verse 11. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession, before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Our first calling is to godliness. All other callings become secondary to that, become an outworking of that godliness. We are called to godliness. Because that's ultimately what our callings are about. It's about God. It's about becoming like like his son, Jesus Christ. Bearing the image of God to the world. In closing, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. This is the same chapter that I quoted from or I read from at the beginning when I was talking about the um, Paul and Cephas and Apollos. It's the same one I read from in verse 17 when I talked about um, that Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. I'd like to start reading in verse 18 and I'll read to the end to the end of the chapter this morning. Uh, Would you stand as I read? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Jews seek after... I'm sorry, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. 
and the and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. <coughs> Again, it's not about us. Yes, we answer the call. We say yes, because we are seeking to bring glory to God. We recognize that our imperfections, our potential failures can still be used by God because he uses the weak against the strong. He uses, he uses those without wisdom to confound wisdom because Christ Jesus is wisdom who became for us wisdom from God. Answer the call. Whether that call is a leadership role in the church or a call to the mission field or a call to encourage someone or a call to disciple others or a call to prepare your children for their calling or whatever the call of God on your life is, answer the call. So I was thinking about it more this morning. What I'm talking about is servanthood. You know, you have the call to godliness. Underneath that is the call to servanthood. And underneath that, all other callings fall. We serve. Sometimes when we think about a calling to a role like a deacon or a calling um, in church leadership, we get confused by our own desires. We look at a calling and we say, oh, then I'll be visible. You know, we don't talk about fame and prestige, but at least recognition, right? Hopefully we don't use the word power because that's really not what calling is about. A calling, this, the calling of God is always a call to servanthood. Remember, the world is upside down. It's those in leadership that are supposed to be servants. It's those that are, um, that are serving that are doing the real work. So the call to servanthood goes out to you today. What is God calling you to? How will you answer the call this morning? Lord, your summons echoes true when you but call my name. Let me turn and follow you and never be the same. In your company, in your presence, I'll go. Where your love and where your footsteps show. Thus, I'll move, I'll live, I'll grow. In you and you and me. I trust that's how we can answer. Whether God calls us to the work of the deacon, whether God calls us to some other work. How will you answer the call? 
Let's stand for prayer this morning. God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for whatever call you have for us. Whether it's the call to go, to follow, wherever, however, like Abraham. Whether it's a calling like David, to the unexpected, to the one that doesn't meet human expectations. Or whether the call is, as in the case of Esther, for such a time as this. God, we trust that you will continue to use your people. You will continue to prepare. That You will continue to teach as we are humble before you. As we come to you as servants. Willing to serve in whatever capacity you call us. And however you want to use our giftings. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.